Welcome to Getting Legal With It, a podcast for Colorado young lawyers by Colorado young lawyers. I'm your host, Kevin Chaney. For those listening to us for the first time, I'm a personal injury and criminal defense lawyer here in Colorado. I graduated from the University of Colorado Law School in 2014 and founded my practice, Chaney Galuzzi and Howard LLC, a short time later. I'm a member of the Colorado Trial Lawyers Association, where I serve on its board, executive committee, and legislative committee. I also serve on the Colorado Bar Association's Board of Governors, the CBA Executive Committee, and the CBA Young Lawyers Division Executive Council. Finally, I'm also a member of the Colorado Criminal Defense Bar Association. If you're interested in learning more about any of these wonderful organizations, please feel free to shoot me an email at kevin at cghlawfirm.com. This podcast is created and sponsored by the Colorado Bar Association's Young Lawyers Division. Our goal with this podcast is to bring you bi-weekly episodes with information that is both fun and informative for young lawyers. We have some awesome guests lined up and we are just getting started. If you like our podcast, please, please, please leave us a review and tell your colleagues. And with that, let's jump right in. Our guest today is a uh, member of the uh, Colorado Bar Association Young Lawyers Division's Executive Council, uh, Karen Hen. Karen Hen is an associate attorney at Parker Littman, where she works on a variety of civil cases, including personal injury, sexual assault, premises liability, wrongful death, and medical malpractice. Prior to joining the firm, Karen clerked at the Second Judicial District Court for the Honorable Edward Bronifan. During her time at the court, she had the opportunity to clerk in the civil, criminal, and domestic rotations. While in the civil rotation, Karen witnessed numerous jury trials where she gained insight and knowledge of how jurors view facts, parties, attorneys, and most importantly, how they reach verdicts. Karen was recently appointed to the Executive Council of the CBA Young Lawyers Division. Karen is a member of the Colorado Trial Lawyers Association and the American Association for Justice. She is also a member of the Colorado Bar Association, the Denver Bar Association, and the Intellectual Property Inn of Court. She is licensed to practice law in Arizona and Colorado. Born and raised in California, at the age of 17, Karen moved to Israel to enlist in the Israel Defense Force. There she served for two years, reaching the rank of sergeant in the Field Artillery Division. She was the youngest ranked and only female to receive the 61st Annual Israel Independence Day grant for her service. Upon discharge from the military, Karen returned to California, where she attended the University of California, Berkeley, and graduated with a bachelor's degree in psychology. Immediately thereafter, she continued to law school at the University of California Hastings College of Law. While in law school, Karen held a summer externship in Washington, D.C. at the Office of General Counsel at Homeland Security, working in the Technology Programs Law Division. She was also an executive editor of the journal Constitutional Law Quarterly and a coach and member of the Hastings nationally ranked moot court team. After law school, Karen seized the wonderful opportunity to clerk in the great state of Colorado. Upon her arrival, she quickly felt at home. During her free time, Karen enjoys traveling, scuba diving, skiing, and playing with her dog, Chick Hen. That is an awesome dog name, by the way. Uh, Karen, welcome uh, to the podcast. Thank, Thank you, you. Uh, for being here today and uh, excited to uh, have some good conversation with you. Thank you so much. I'd like to add, I'm also barred in New Mexico. Also so barred I, in New Mexico. <laughs> Let's get on that. that on the record, you know. <laughs> we got to get that on the website. Uh, let Parker Littman know. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> well, uh, we'll jump right in here. Uh, I, I know we covered uh, some of this uh, in your bio, but why don't we just kind of start off and uh, tell us a little about yourself. Uh, where are you from? I am from um, a town called Calabasas, California. Um, we are notorious for the Kardashians, the Kobe helicopter 
crash, oh. unfortunately. Wow, that's yeah. Uh, yeah. an interesting claim to fame. Yes, there. yes, that's where <laughs> yeah. that is where I was uh, raised. Have you met any of the Kardashians? You know, I, is that some? Is that yeah, something that happens? You know, once um, before her transition uh, to Caitlyn, uh-huh. uh, Bruce Jenner was uh, walking. He was jaywalking across the street. And, oh, he jaywalks. Um, yeah, good yeah. to know. Good to <laughs> he know. He did. He you did. Know? I don't, don't know show what that on TV. Today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe she's cleaned up her act. But uh, back it, in the day, and so I had to, you know, stop. And I said, "Oh, sorry, Bruce. You know, <laughs> let him." Crossed my car and he just waved and well, and then a... my mom had uh, sushi with uh, Scott Disick and uh, okay. Kourtney Kardashian. Wow, yeah. wow, yeah. you know, interesting. Uh, I grew up in Wyoming. We didn't really have any celebrities. <laughs> well, you know? now Kanye. But, claim- yeah, Kanye. Was just, Kanye has now <laughs> come to Cody, <laughs> Wyoming. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we had uh, Dick Cheney who was always trying to get people to go hunting, and you know, ever yeah. since then, you yeah. know, it's been it's been interesting. <laughs> Okay, so uh, you're from Calabasas, California, yeah. and uh, you know, after uh, growing up there and you know graduating high school, what did you what did you do next? So I'm a first generation American. My both of my parents immigrated from Israel, okay, um, to the U.S. and uh, they always were saying, you know, we're going to go back to Israel, going to go back to Israel. We spoke only Hebrew at home. Um, it never happened. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) You guys aren't going, I'm going. (laughs) I'll go. Yeah, I'll leave you behind. (laughs) Um, And so I I enlisted. Um, It was a a rash decision. Most of my decisions in life have been very last minute, visceral. Like I feel it and then I do it. Hey, sometimes that's the best way to go about it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And so I, you know, I I enlisted and, and, you know, moved six weeks later. before my 18th birthday and uh, served in artillery, like it said in my bio, which was really, really fun and interesting. And, um, you know, the Israel Defense Forces are, it's an incredible organization. I mean, military wise, you know, everyone goes into the military after high school. There was no direct college situation. I mean, there is like this, you know, for the ultra orthodox, they get exceptions, but for the most part, it's kind of like a rite of passage, and you learn so many things that you wouldn't learn otherwise. Right, right. Um, and it really gives perspective, especially you know, I was classified as a lone soldier because my immediate family lived in the U.S. Okay. Um, so, so when we weren't on base doing trainings and exercises, we were living on a kibbutz, which is a, a socialist farm. Okay. Okay. Um. A very, very, very cool. I, I recommend any podcast listener to look up kibbutz, uh, K-I-B-B-U-T-Z, um, and the origins of it and kind of, it's very interesting. Um, so we, we lived there when I wasn't um, on base. And Were there other, I guess, uh, lone soldiers and stuff there? Other people that had come from America or other countries to, to serve in the IDF? Yes, yes. Uh, there's. I went with a program called Garin Sabar, and um, we were about, in my year, 150 um, from all over the world. Wow, so, wow. Uh, majority from the United States, but all over the U.S. I mean, the people in my Garin were from Chicago, New Jersey, New York, um, we had a guy from Canada, two people from Canada, so we were kind of all over. But they've come from Australia and um, South Africa and New Zealand. I mean, you know, they're just wow. kind of everywhere. Yeah, so. what a what a cool experience. What what drove you to to want to go there? Was it a a desire to to kind of live in Israel? Was it a a desire to serve um, in the military and kind of protect Israel or? Uh, a combination of those or what kind of was the um, impetus to move to Israel and join the IDF? 
it was kind of threefold. The first, I went on what's called March of the Living. Um, it's a program that takes you through um, Poland um, and you go to Warsaw, you go to all the um, concentration camps, Auschwitz, Birkenau, Majdanek. Um, you do the death march from uh, Birkenau, one, the camp one to two, where 100,000, 150,000 Jews died. And you do wow. it on the day that they they did it. Right, um, right, right. Kind of recreating the trail. Right. Wow. Um, and it's it's an incredible thing. And then they take you to Israel. Um, and it's kind of a, they show you, you know, hey, this is, you know, that will never happen again. That right. will never. The six million deaths, more or less, who knows, will never happen again. And your identity and your um, place in the world as a Jew, ha- you have a home. And I always was very, you know, attached to that idea. Um, I also thought, you know, I'm, I'm big into volunteering and giving back to the community and, you know, being allies with the U.S. Uh, you know, it was nice to be able to work with U.S. soldiers right, right, and, right. and give back in that way. And, you know, and also, you know, it's it, it, it's a called the Israel Defense Force because you're, you're really on your own land. Right, right. Be. Do you think that that experience has... Um, shaped who you are today and I guess the second part of that is do you think it shaped uh, you know how you view the law or how you view cases like has it impacted your career as well as you personally so I think the so I was a field artillery instructor so what what my job was was to teach um, lieutenants and high-ranking officers so all above my rank of sergeant Mm -hmm. how to direct and command artillery in the field and it's a very, very precise, very, um, you know, you need to know what you're doing. I did it in a language that was not my native. I mean, I speak Hebrew fluently, but I wasn't at the caliber of my, you know, the, my colleagues. They were all native. So, yeah. So, you know, you have to get up. You have to have the confidence to talk and command a room filled with people because what you say to them is a matter of potential life or death. Right, right. And so it's so important that you, one, know how to communicate, know how to communicate effectively and know how to draw attention to a, in a room. Um, and it, it takes a lot of practice. And I think that a lot of that is applied to, you know, being a trial attorney, mm-hmm. um, being able to command a room, being able, not that I've yet had the privilege of doing a jury trial with corona right um, right but you know those skills are very very important um so that's that's part of it i think also just you know having going through basic training which is extremely grueling physically and mentally emotionally you know you're not only being physically run up and down stairs and right. whatever with all your gear but you know you're also in classrooms learning how to teach learning the things that you need to perfect um and so that's a big that that was also, you know, going through that, y- you just you have a different perspective on things. Things aren't as, you know, deadlines aren't as serious because you have all this freedom. Right, 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 right. <laughs> you know, you know, you know how to kind of um, take care of the time and, and make sure that. Were you able to, I guess, select what you did in the IDF as far as the role and you were talking about teaching uh, our, our, the use of artillery uh, to kind of higher ups 
um, in the, in the military. Um, was that something that you kind of got selected or do you kind of get assigned and they say, all right, you're here, this is what you're going to do. Or tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So as, as an American coming to Israel, um, it's a little bit different in, in the process Israelis, you know, th- their process is very thorough. They start at 15, 16, they do testing and all that. When American comes, it's the same testing. It's just really expedited. Okay. Um, and so, you know, you do have a say to some extent based on how you rank on testing. Um, I, I chose that was my field that I chose. Um, I was really, um, attracted to, you know, that kind of role. Yeah. Yeah. Working with cannons and working with other women and, you know, being an instructor, it was, uh, very, very, very cool. Very cool. So after, uh, you, you did the two years in the IDF, then you, you moved back to California. And if I remember from your bio, you went to, uh, Berkeley, was it? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I uh, had to reapply to college. So I had applied to college initially at a high school and had to reapply while I was in the military. <laughs> um, and uh, I was, I got into Berkeley. And um, so I started there in January. I was discharged from the military in October. Were you thinking law school kind of at that point? Or um, so I noticed you majored in psychology, uh, mm-hmm. which similar to my political science degree, you know, doesn't isn't the most useful bachelor's degree with just that. Were you thinking about law school at that time or how did that kind of come to be? Yeah, I, um, I did not want to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a psychologist. <laughs> okay. I wanted to help people. I wanted to help solve problems. Sure. Um, talk, you know, just, just work with individuals who are going through a difficult time. Right. And right. You know, uh, again, last minute, my senior year of college, well, I, I finished early, but, you know, right right around the time I was uh, wrapping up, my uh, I called my mom out and she's like, what are you going to do next? And I was like, I don't know. She's like, I really think you should apply to law school. And I said, what? She's like, well, you want to help people. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's an interesting kind of thought. And she's like, and you're going to go broke because, you know, if you have a client who keeps coming back to you and doesn't take your advice, you're going to fire them. And then if you're going to, you know, help a client in psychology and, you know, and then they'll leave you. So <laughs> there you go. Like, that's, a, that's some good mom wisdom yeah, out there. Like, you know, like you, you won't have patience for it. And I was like, oh, maybe you're right. And so I, you know, signed up for the October LSAT. And this was like in late August and, you know, applied to law school. And Very cool. Very cool. Um, and then you went to Hastings, uh, mm-hmm. which is also in that same area um, out in California. Um, did you think you kind of wanted to stay in California uh, long term at that point, or how did you go about uh, selecting a, a law school? I, you know, did everything last minute, right? So I actually applied to Hastings as the last day, the last day it was op- applications were open because I didn't even know about Hastings. I had met with someone who uh, it was a, a law professor at Cal and. He and I were talking, and he's like, you really should apply to Hastings. It's such a great school. And so I was like, okay, why not throw my hat in the ring? And um, I had actually wanted to get out of California and move to D.C. Okay, okay. Um, But it was between GW and Hastings. And I just, you know, figured, you know, stay in the Bay Area for a couple more years. And Yeah, okay. Eventually. Yeah, Hastings was actually one of the schools that I visited when I was uh, looking at law schools. And it's a it's a standalone law school, right? Like there's Mm -hmm. no undergrad or anything attached to it kind of in uh, in San Francisco there. Yeah, it's the first law school in California. So before Berkeley had uh, Bolt or now it's Berkeley Law, um, Hastings was the only law school. It was actually the first law school to admit women. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah. And it Very is the cool. Law school of uh, our 
vice president. When you were at law school, did you know kind of what area of law you wanted to do? So I know you were on the the moot court team. And so were you kind of thinking litigation or appellate litigation or, um, you know, tell us a little bit about your thinking there. Yeah, you know, I was really interested. Uh, It's interesting because I have like I'm reading my bio or when you read it, I was like, oh, I have all these random things that I like I'm interested in, you know, (laughs) IP and the law, cybersecurity, you know, and then like my job, which I absolutely love is being a personal injury attorney right. and working with clients. But no, I, I did not know what I wanted to do. I think I came into law school thinking maybe I'll do mental health in the law. And then, you know, I was like, oh, but I need to pay my student debt off. And that's a lot of money. Maybe I'll just go into big law. And then, you know, nothing just nothing fit. Sure. And um, the the now dean of my law school, um, uh, David Fagman, he was good friends with uh, Judge Morris Hoffman on the Denver bench. Okay. And uh, Judge Hoffman wanted a clerk. So he um, called uh, David and said, you know, do you have any clerk uh, people you recommend? And I had worked closely with um, Professor Fagman. We were, I, I did a lot of research for him and, you know, it just formed a great relationship and he knew I was looking for a job and so in May like right when I graduated he called me he's like so would you want to move to Denver I was like I've never been there (laughs) (laughs) maybe (laughs) (laughs) and he's like well you know this this great judge is looking for a clerk and you know I interviewed with with Judge Hoffman and it you know, we we really hit it off um, but the timing didn't work out and you know he had a clerk that he had you know taught at uh, CU sure and so um so that didn't work out, but he he said, I'm going to get you a job in Denver. And he sent my resume to every judge <laughs> in the state of Colorado. That's a good connection to have, apparently. Oh, my God. Just such a gem. And, you know, and then I ended up clerking for his colleague, Ken Laugh. Um, nice. And was that on the, was that in the Denver District Court? Correct. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So I was in Denver and I clerked for two judges, uh, Ken, Judge Laugh and, and Judge Bronfen. And had you thought about clerking kind of prior to uh, the now dean kind of bringing it up to you? Was that something you had considered or? You know, no, not really. I mean, yes and no. Yes, I'd go to the, I think in law school, you're just bombarded with all this information for all different ideas. So unless you really go in knowing exactly what it is you want to do. Right. It's quite difficult to, to make that determination. And I think I'm one of those people who kind of like, you know, I just am open and things kind of come, you know, sure. I'm open to any experience that I'm never like, oh, this is not for me or this is exactly what I want. And this is the only thing I'm going to do. You right. Know? Right. I, I find that, you know, I, I you catch more fish with a bigger net. Right. That's so. right. That's right. And it's, you know, sir, people that have listened to, uh, you know, some of our uh, episodes on the podcast before will know that. Um, you know, we're I'm big on kind of recurring themes in uh, some of these episodes. And one of the recurring themes that we've had quite a bit is that, you know, career paths are rarely a straight line. Um, and I, I don't think we've had any, maybe one guest that really kind of knew exactly what they wanted to do and ended up following that. And one of the themes that a lot of people have kind of talked about here is that so much of what they've been able to achieve and things that have happened to them have just been kind of what you described as like an openness to, you know, when a door opens in front of you, maybe it wasn't the door you ever imagined yourself going through. Maybe it's not in the city you ever imagined yourself living in, but you know, that door opens and you walk through it and then, you know, that opens more doors and you know, you end up where you are kind of 
in a, in a roundabout way. And that sounds a little bit like that was kind of your experience of just kind of, you know, taking those opportunities as they come. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, that's how I ended up being on all these different, you know, IP in a court, you know, I just, I'm <laughs> right? like, oh, this is cool. I mean, that's where I met Spencer, uh, yeah. Spencer Rubin, who's the um, current chair current of the chair, CBA yeah. uh, YLD. Um how was your clerking experience? Did you did you learn a lot? Did you find it, you know, fun and, and interesting? I recommend for every young lawyer to clerk. I think it is an a fabulous experience and I don't think that it matters what area of law you do it in. Um I started in the domestic relations rotation with Judge Laugh. Um I was there for about a year with him. Um, I learned so much um, about family law, about, you know, the law in general. Um, the, the attorneys uh, that appeared in the courtroom were bar none. I mean, and you get to work with litigants. I mean, you get to work one-on-one with people that, you know, that just walk in and that, you know, they don't have attorneys and they don't right. have, I mean, I think 80 to 90% of litigants in, in domestic are not represented, wow. are pro se. And, you know, it's nice to have that connection to to our community here in Colorado and so that was a really good experience so obviously your uh, path to securing that clerkship was a little uh, uh, non-traditional if you will um, but during your time uh, clerking for for two different judges uh, did you pick up on anything that judges are really looking for in clerks and and the reason that I ask is you know we may have uh, you know law student listeners or even you know young lawyer listeners that are considering clerking. Um, are there things that you think judges really look for when they're, you know, trying to hire a clerk or, or what advice would you give to a law student who, you know, is like, you know, that sounds cool. I, I'm interested in clerking. How can I make myself more competitive for, you know, that kind of job? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think having a genuine interest and in being open, mm-hmm. you know, being open to, you know, not saying, oh, I'm never going to clerk in domestic relations. So I don't know if any people listening and, and in Denver, judges are assigned to a rotation for a period of time. So you're assigned to domestic, let's say, for an entire year, mm-hmm. and then you transfer to another civil or criminal. Um, I know in, in Jeffco or in, in other counties, you know, a judge has a rotating docket so that they do all three at all all the time. Right. Um, so I definitely recommend being open-minded and not saying, oh, I'm not going to clerk because it's, you know, domestic relations and I have no interest in family law. Sure. That's, I think that's closed-minded. I think being open, again, is is very helpful um, and will set you apart from from others. I think also taking, you know, going the extra mile, not not waiting for someone to tell you to do something, but just going and doing it. Um, I, th- I find that that was a lot of the time something that the judges really, really liked to see while, sure. while working with them. Um, well, that uh, kind of brings me, I guess, to my, my next question. Um, so you, you clerked for two judges. Um, how then did you get from clerking to Parker Littman? What was that journey like? That journey. Um, so Judge Bronfen um he has become like a member of my family uh him and uh lorraine parker and Mm -hmm. lorraine parker's spouse judge liz stars elizabeth stars Mm -hmm. um so judge elizabeth stars was on the denver bench with judge bronfen we were actually next door neighbors um and judge bronfen was invited to lorraine and liz's house for for dinner Mm -hmm. um for his birthday and according to lorraine uh 
Judge Bronfman showed up with an agenda. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. And said, you need to hire my clerk. (laughs) (laughs) That's an agenda you you probably agreed with. That's that's great. That's great. And she's like, and I was, I remember this, like it was yesterday because he was texting me, send me your resume, send me your resume. (laughs) Like, okay. Like, why are you? Okay. So, uh, and so he, and Lorraine said, I'm not hiring. I don't need an associate. (laughs) And he goes, well, she was in the IDF. And Lorraine was like, what? <laughs> we should talk to her. And so uh, Dan Dan Lipman and Lorraine Parker then interviewed me that week and offered me a job by the end of the week. And uh, so, yeah, again, not I have a very nonlinear, you know. You know, but it does highlight, uh, you know, to go back to these themes, uh, the other big theme besides, you know, being open to, you know, doors that are kind of put in front of you uh, that we've talked about a lot on this show is mentors. And how important it can be to kind of collect those mentors, not only for advice, but for those kind of connections. And it sounds like, you know, you did some work for the the, uh, the professor back at uh, Hastings, you know, did a good job, developed a good relationship. And then he, you know, was able to connect you with these judges in Denver who, you know, weren't able to help you out right away, but then shared your information. Then you clerked for this judge, did a really good job. And then he went to bat for you, you know, trying to find uh, a job. And so I just think it's, it's important to highlight for our listeners that they say, you know, it's not what you know, who you know, it's who you know. And, you know, that's not always true. What you know, doing good work is important, but, you know, actively, you know, trying to develop relationships with people that you have that opportunity with can pay dividends in ways that you might not even expect or even see at the time. Absolutely. And I don't think it goes just for the people that you work directly with. Um, I, you know, would volunteer to help out the other judges and formed great relationships with them. You know, one day, one of the judges, Judge Goldberg, came into my office and said, I want, I'm recommending you for this job. You know, there was another job at a a civil plaintiff's firm and Mm -hmm. he's like, I want to recommend you for it, you know, and, and that's it, you know, and I never worked for, I mean, I, I helped him out. I helped his clerks out. Right. You know, I was always there if he needed extra help or someone to review something. Um, but that's it you you never know the connections and the people you know what they what they're capable of doing for you so treat everyone kindly and with respect and um you know you, you know and i have a a recent story uh, it's not for a uh, an associate job but we recently were hiring uh, a new law clerk uh, or not a law clerk a legal assistant and we interviewed a bunch of different people and it really came down to to two candidates that were you know really really good uh, really qualified, and uh, one of them was fluent in Spanish, and the other wasn't. So we ended up going with the one that was bilingual. Um, but this this other kid had really, really impressed me. He was also a veteran uh, of the U.S. Armed Forces, and uh, I was really, really impressed with him and thought he would do a great job. And the very next day, I saw someone on the CTLA listserv say, "Hey, we're looking for a legal assistant." And I had no idea who this person was, never talked to him in my life, but I sent him an email and was like, hey, man, you don't know me, but I just interviewed, you know, I got 150 applications. I interviewed 10 different people, and there was this guy who was really, really good, and but for this other guy being fluent in Spanish, I, I felt they were, you know, equal. Um, and, you know, five days later, this guy ended up hiring this, 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 this other individual, and it was all because of the impression that he made and, you know, he was very polite and followed up and everything. And, um, so, you know, I think that's a really important lesson for people is that you never know, 
you know, who's watching. You never know who is going to be in your corner and go to bat for you. And uh, the job search or clerking search or any other search is so much easier when you have somebody uh, who has credibility with whoever they are pitching you to, um, you know, for a job. So uh, that's 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 really, I think, a good lesson for, uh, you know, our listeners. Um, I want to move on to our kind of the main topic I wanted to talk to you about today, which is uh, your plaintiff's work. Um, While you were clerking, did you kind of begin thinking that plaintiff's work was kind of where you wanted to be? Or was it, you know, not until after you started at Parker Littman and you were like, all right, actually, you know, I could do some plaintiff's work. Yeah. You know, I was probably super. um, So you're a plaintiff's attorney, so you know that you you really you take the questionable cases to trial because if your case <laughs> is a slam dunk, you typically can just you probably can get a settlement. Settle That's it, fair. right? That's fair. So That's fair. the harder so the, cases the harder, have to be tried, right? The harder the cases have to be tried, and I think that you know um, there were a few that I was you know gung ho plaintiffs, or a few that I was like, oh, you can't even possibly make that argument. That's ridiculous, you know, and um, yeah, so. I, I wasn't I didn't fall on either side of the spectrum. I think that what I love about plaintiff's work and what I've learned, you know, is that it is the perfect mix of psychology and the law because I have such a good relationship with my clients who are going through something super terrible, whether they've lost limbs, whether they were sexually assaulted, whether they survived a bombing, whether they, you know, just got into a car crash. Sure. You know, they're going through something that is extremely traumatic and having to relive it through the legal system. And so being, you know, a, a caring and empathetic and uh, also being able to be an advocate to get them a result. Um, unfortunately, in, you know, here in this country, you know, our, a good result in justice is money. But being able to get the money um, really is, is money just, helps. Money, money helps. helps. Money Absolutely. helps. You know, like it's not. You know, I, it's funny. I, I think almost every one of my clients, I would probably say every one of my clients, if they could go back in time and not have the tragic or terrible event happen to them and have to give up the money, they would take that in a heartbeat. A thousand percent. Um, but, you know, percent. and until we invent uh, a time machine, uh, that is not something that we can offer them. Um, but when your life is turned upside down or you're, you know, really, really injured or you lose your job because of an injury, um, you know, money helps. Money helps. Um, tell us a little bit about kind of your, uh, typical day. Um, you know, obviously every day is, is different, but you know, is the majority of your days spent in court? Is it spent writing? Is it spent, you know, meeting with clients or, uh, just kind of give us a, a general overview of, of, you know, what kind of a plaintiff's lawyer does. Yeah. Um, so our firm does, does specialize, I would say 50% of our our cases, maybe a little less, are medical malpractice cases. Okay. Um, so a lot of my days are reviewing medical records and um, kind of learning medicine, which is really cool. Uh, right. I'm in no way uh, uh, a doctor. My, my, I have a sister who's a doctor. She's an OBGYN, which is helpful also. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. When you do this kind of work, it's helpful to know doctors. Sure, sure. Um, hey, what's this word mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, Google can't help, you know. Yeah. A phone call will. Um and so, so, you know, doing medical chronologies, going through, seeing what sta- what the standard of care is. Um, and it, what's interesting is that, you know, you get all different types of cases. It's mm-hmm. not one in the same. You, I have an eye case and then I have, you know, a kidney case and compartments, abdominal compartment syndrome case. And, sure. you know, cauda equina cases. And so it, you learn a lot and it's really interesting for, you know, to kind of get 
the the medical perspective of, of what happened to the person who's coming to see you. And a lot of the times, you know, it is within the standard of care. It's just a terrible outcome. Right. Um, and right. that's and I think that that's telling that to a potential client or a client is really helpful for them because knowing that something was done to you that, you know, is just a terrible adverse result is is one thing. But knowing that someone actually like didn't do their job and that caused your pain is is different. And and so I like to when I can, you know, I'm always extremely to, to have that conversation, even with potentials that we know that we're not going to hire just to tell them, hey, based on this, you know, we don't see that there's a. I think clients really and, and potential clients really appreciate that kind of finality, too. Um, you know, and, and I understand there's there, there's a lot of firms, you know, and they're busy. And so they get calls uh, and they're clearly, you know, not going to take that case or, you know, it's not a case that they're they're interested in. And so, um, you know, they, they get a lot of different you know reasons like, oh, we're just too busy. You know, we can't take your case. We're too busy. And, um, you know, we'll have clients that have called, you know, five or six, you know, 10 different law firms. Um, and their reaction, even when you have to give them bad news, when you sit them down and be like, look, you know, it's not that people are too busy. Um, you know, they could be busy, but you know, the, the problem is this, you know, you, uh, you know, there's no causation here or, you know, this was a tragic accident, but you know, the doctor did what the doctor was supposed to do and it just didn't work out. Um, and even when you give them that bad news, you can almost see them improve because now at least they know. Right. They're, they're walking away and they're like, OK, you know, now I understand what happened to me and I finally got um, a straight answer. And so, you know, even in the, that kind of negative moment, I think they're really, really grateful um, for that. What is. But let me finish here. Sorry. Sure, sorry. I didn't finish. I did, yeah, no. Absolutely. I, so Medcroms, uh -huh. a lot of client conversations. Yep. Uh, I talk to my clients. I, I try to talk to each one of my I a lot of them, but at least monthly some mm -hmm. of them you know depending on where we are in their case i talk to them more weekly um so it's a lot of communicating with clients um you know communicating with uh, opposing counsel working with co-counsel on certain cases um i'm not gonna lie legal writing is not my strong suit mm -hmm. um it's not my favorite thing but um communicating with others is sure and that's sure. my and so i i kind of focus my practice on that <laughs> you know Fair. i do do legal research and writing when i have to <laughs> and legal research is actually different i love doing legal research i just you know writing writing not the yeah, most fun not the most fun that's fair. um but drafting complaints and doing case management conferences and going to court and you know well online on webex now um, that's most of my my days. Those are how my days look. What is your favorite part about being a, a plaintiff's lawyer? Um, just client working with my clients. Just just talking with them and stuff. You um, know, and, and getting them a result, right? Like, right. You know, advocating for them. Um, do you think you'll stay in this practice area? So now that you you know, obviously you got a lot of different experience when you were clerking, you saw some family law, you saw, um, you know, all these different types of law. Now that you've been working in, you know, plaintiff's work for a while, uh, do you think you'll stay there for a career or do you have, you know, kind of other uh, areas of law you'd like to explore at some point? Um, I love my job. I, I, you know, I went to lunch with a colleague the other day and, you know, she said to me, is it really that great? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, it's the working. First of all, it also depends on who you work with. Sure, and, sure. and Dan Lipman and Lorraine Parker are bar none. I mean, they are both um, incredibly wise, incredibly smart, incredibly kind, incredibly communicative. 
Um, and they go above and beyond, not just for their clients, but for the people who work with them. Mm -hmm. And um, it makes the whole experience of coming to work, of being at work, even in trying times like now, just fabulous. And you never, it's never, oh, you know, Sunday blues. There's, there is never that. Uh, it's, and, you know, I think another thing for our listeners, um, make sure you find a place to work where you feel like you want to be your best. Right. If you are looking for a place to work and you don't think that you will want to be your best, trust your gut and wait if you can. Um, because I, I think lawyer burnout is a real thing. Um, I'm chair of the wellness committee for a CBA executive council, one, a co-chair, I guess. And, you know, lawyer burnout is real. Yeah, absolutely. And, and part of that is, is who we work with. You know, right. and we don't always get the luxury of having amazing colleagues and we don't always get the luxury of getting to choose. But, you know, you went off on your own. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, I haven't got to work a ton with Dan or Lorraine, uh, but uh, I've definitely interacted with both of them through, you know, some CTLA committees. Uh, also, I know Dan is a big CU Buffs fan. Oh, so huge. shout out for that. Mm -hmm. He uh, I can always count him on him for a Facebook like whenever I post anything about the, the Buffs. So thousand percent, uh, yep. go Buffs. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, you know, I guess the other thing I'd like to say is that, you know, it uh, I think that plaintiffs work. Um, you know, sometimes gets a bad rap. There's been a, a concerted effort uh, by, uh, you know, insurance companies and, and others um, to kind of, you know, make us all out to be, you know, ambulance chasers or, or things like that. Um, but, you know, I, it's interesting. I talk to my friends and colleagues that are in all different areas of law and I talk to them about their days and their lives and their stress levels and everything. And, um, I really do think that plaintiffs lawyers by and large are happier than the average, um, you know, the average other lawyer. And I don't know if it's because most of us don't have to bill by the hour, which is nice, or, you know, we get to represent individuals and clients and, you know, it's, it's easy to, you know, even if it's work you don't really want to be doing, it's, it's easy to fire yourself up because you know who you're fighting for, right? Like, you know, you know, for example, with legal writing, it may not be the most fun thing, but you understand that that document or motion or argument that you're writing is for this individual that you've been, you know, meeting with monthly or weekly and talking about and learning their story and their family and what happened to them. And, uh, I think that gives a, a powerful, like emotional boost, uh, to be able to, you know, get through the, the days that, you know, you're maybe not super gung ho on whatever you're doing. Oh, a thousand percent. I completely agree with you. So, you know, listeners, I, I, uh, I go into the law schools and talk about this all the time, but you know, I, I, I highly encourage people to at least consider, uh, plaintiff's work, Agreed. um, because it can be very, very rewarding. And, uh, you know, I'll say this again, there are no billable hours at most firms. So, uh, that can also be <laughs> a really nice impact on your life when you don't have to, you know, keep track of everything in six minutes, uh, six minute intervals. Um, I guess along those lines, what advice would you give to uh, law students or maybe a young lawyer uh, who's interested in becoming a plaintiff's attorney? Clerk, um, clerk, 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 clerk. That's clerk, number clerk. one, two, clerk, three, clerk. and four. So um, <laughs> also reach out to um, people on CTLA. I didn't know what CTLA was. You know, you don't know what the American Association of Justice. You don't really know these things until you're kind of pulled into a firm and someone in invites you. But mm -hmm. the Colorado, Colorado Trial Lawyers Association is a great place to start. 
um, to get resources, whether it's just, you know, clerking for a summer job or, you know, while you're in law school or making contacts. I know we're a small firm and so we don't actively look um, for people over the summer. But if we had a um, law student who would come in the door and say, hey, you know, I want this experience. Can I help? I, I, I'm pretty sure we would be open to right. setting something up. Um, you know, again, it wouldn't be with the prospect of a job at the end of the day because right. we want to stay small. But to give you that experience and the recommendations, you don't always uh, don't always take jobs or, you know, summer jobs or summer gigs as, again, a way to guarantee yourself a job. Do it to create the connections for people who would advocate on your behalf and help you w- open another door. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good point because a lot of plaintiffs firms are, are smaller. Um, so you're not going to see them at like OCI's. Correct. You know, you may not see them sponsoring, you know, whatever's going on um, at the law school. Um, but a lot of them, you know, are, are most of them, I would say, are, are really good people. And, you know, if you just hit them up and, you know, take them out to coffee uh, and, and learn a little bit more about what they do. Um, I'm also going to second your plug for CTLA, um, you know, probably probably more than any other organization or thing, uh, CTLA has, has greatly shaped, um, my legal career. As you mentioned, um, you know, I started my firm right after graduating, um, you know, and so we didn't have a ton of experience, didn't, you know, wholly really know what I was doing. Um, and thanks to CTLA and the listserv, um, I was able to, you know, first of all, just reading the listserv has been one of the best things I've done for my career. Uh, for those first couple of years, I think I read every single email. Um, and you just learn about all of these different things that happen in cases. And then all of a sudden, you know, two years down the road, when I have this like interesting subrogation issue or something come up, I'm like, wait a second, like I've read an email thread about that. And there was like a handful of lawyers that were always just so helpful um, and responsive. And that was uh, really cool. And the other thing I did is I, I would it was a good intro. So I would just like email random people and be like, Hey, I've never met you, but I've read like 30 of your listserv emails. Like I'd love to grab coffee and like pick your brain about something. Um, and I'd say about 90% of the time people were like, absolutely like, let's do it, you know? And so, uh, definitely, uh, would recommend, are there any classes that you took or, or area of law? Obviously torts is big, uh, if you're going to be doing, um, you know, plaintiff's work, but was there, was there anything in law school that you thought was a good experience that you you, you see, uh, you know, how it's influenced your career now? I hated torts. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There's Even if you hate plug. torts, you can still hate be a plaintiff torts, lawyer. You can still be a plaintiff lawyer. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it was a professor. and She was a sweet lady. I just, you know, <laughs> just I wasn't just for you. was not for me. And, um, you know, and also I come from California and California is like this, you know, crunchy state. Everyone says, you know, it's kind of like Colorado, but uh, California is also... You know, plaintiff's attorneys really have a bad rep there because, you know, really like small cases can get you a lot of money. Uh Um, Whereas here in Colorado, you know, jurors are way more conservative and, you know, you you have to have a a grounds for bringing a lawsuit. Right. Um, So in California, specifically where I went to to law school, it was they weren't uh, it wasn't very plaintiff driven sure um but you know yeah you need to take torts um looking back i mean i really enjoyed the classes that i took that had nothing to do sure with what i practice in okay i really enjoyed tax law (laughs) i mean never gonna be a tax attorney right (laughs) uh you know i took international law i thought that was fascinating huh um 
Israel's in there a lot for some reason. I'm just going to point that out. <laughs> um, what else did I, 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 I took a lot of classes that I, um, admin law, you know, negotiations. That's a great class. That's a class everybody should take. Sure. Negotiations. That's hundred percent, but really, you know, take classes that interest you and that will give you more information about something that you might never learn later because you only have one opportunity to be in law school. That's a great point. Um, and it doesn't need to like, Oh, this will directly implicate my career. You know, I don't think anyone's ever asked me what classes did you take in law school. Uh, right, I'm, right, uh, right. I'm being a plaintiff's attorney. You know, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> um, so, uh, well, I'll, I'll thank you again for for coming on the show today. And I like to end each show uh, kind of the same way. So, along the some of the themes we were talking about earlier of, um, you know, if you're interested in plaintiff's work, or if even you might potentially be interested in plaintiff's work, it's great to to reach out to people that are doing it and kind of get to know them. Uh, also along the lines of it's really important to find mentors and you know people that you can develop those relationships with um, if our uh, young lawyers or law student listeners uh, would uh, like to learn more about really anything that we've talked about today clerking plaintiff's work uh, the IDF um, living on a, a, a kibbutz is yeah, that I pronounce perfect. that right yeah, there we go great. sweet uh, my uh, Jewish fiance will be pleased that <laughs> I got that pronounced right well uh, your fiance also Rena right yes yes she's was one of my favorite instructors at Core Power before oh Just nice a little small plug. world core dude pla- yay for Core Power yeah, absolutely <laughs> she, uh, she is going to be very very happy to hear that yeah um, so anyway uh, if uh, law students or uh, young lawyers or really anyone who's listening uh, wants uh, to reach out to you oh, uh, a, is that okay and uh, what's your email address or what's the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, the best way is email. Um, it's Karen, K-A-R-E-N, at ParkerLipman.com, L-I-P as in Paul, M-A-N.com. Parker, Parker Lipman. Uh, and there you guys go. Uh, definitely uh, take Karen up on uh, that offer. Uh, it, is, it is so important to just be meeting people and talking with people and uh, so helpful for life. Well, thank you so much, Karen, for coming on. It's been a, a real pleasure, and I uh, hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks, Kevin. Get legal with it.